0: Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, The counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.
1: I'm E.G. Marshall, inviting you to share another adventure in the macabre. All great writers, at one time or another, have written a mystery story. The unknown and the unexplained are intriguing. Their world's limitless. We are more aware of that now because of ESP and psychokinesis. The effect of thought on material objects lends credence to many an old wives' tale. Henry James anticipated one of them in 1892 in his story, Sir Edmund Orme. Our adaptation of this classic begins in Boston, but it was in a church on Martha's Vineyard that Mrs. Marsden first spoke openly to David Delano.
2: You saw him?
1: Yes, Mrs. Marsden. He came into the pew and sat next to Charlotte. And then he walked to the center aisle of the church and walked away from the pulpit and out. Ah,
2: no one else paid him any attention. Because no one else could see him, Mr. Delano. I beg your pardon. But you will see him again. Because you're in love with my daughter.
1: Mystery drama Edmund Orme was adapted especially for the mystery theater by Roy Windsor and stars Lamont Johnson. Some persons, they are intelligent and sound of mind, believe that a guilty past pursues a person until the offense has been exercised. This is a deeper problem than conscience can solve. You may regret something, and you may make amends for it, and then, perhaps, your conscience is clear. But what if you have done something unforgivable? What if the person you have harmed is dead? Is it in his power to make you suffer because you can never make amends? It was a warm Sunday afternoon in mid-October in 1890, Most of the strollers had left the Boston Common to go home for tea when Mrs. Marsden said...
2: Really, Charlotte, I'm all right. A bit tired, nothing more. But, Mother, you have that pain. Walk on with Mr. Clement. Mr. Delano will sit with me on the bench. We'll follow shortly. You don't mind, Mr. Delano? Certainly not. You won't be long, Mother. Five minutes. No more. All right. Do watch over Mother, Mr. Delano.
1: You and Charlotte have an unusually close relationship, Mrs.
2: Martin. Oh, I'm devoted to her, of course.
1: And she is vain about your appearance. I, I would be, too. You're a beautiful woman. Oh, thank you. An unusual young lady.
2: Oh. We are both a little strange. Have you recovered? Oh, yes. Yes, it's left me. The, uh, the fluttering. Hard? Oh, no. Hard glad to hear
1: that. Well, Charlotte has set the young men of Boston on their ears.
2: Are you in one of the uh, professions, Mr. Domino?
1: No, I'm a shipping broker. My friend John Clement is an attorney. Will you stay in Boston through the fall,
2: Mrs. Marston? Oh, for a few weeks more, perhaps, with a side trip to Martha's Vineyard. Our friends at Tompkins have asked us for a weekend before we return home to Providence.
1: Uh, of course, you'll stay for the Elliott's Ball.
2: Oh, Charlotte is looking forward to it. Uh, it's a
1: grand occasion. You and Charlotte will make it something special.
2: May I call
1: on you in, in Providence sometime?
2: If business brings you our way, of course. I'll be pleased to see you again. And Charlotte? Of course. But you'd know that better than I, Mr. Delano.
1: <laughs> I really don't is a bit of a coquette, you
2: know. Don't say that, please. I don't like the word, Mr. Delano. It's cheapening.
1: Oh, I didn't mean it in a disparaging
2: way. Forgive me, please. Granted. As you must know, a coquette deliberately attracts men, but without affection. That's why they're always punished. Punished? May I
1: ask how you know that, Mrs. Martin?
2: I... I was a bad girl myself.
1: And you were punished?
2: I carry it through life.
1: You are badly infected, David, my friend. You love Charlotte, of course. Or is it the mother who is attracted to you? No, but... uh, I must say that for a woman in her 50s, Mrs. Martin's remarkably attractive. She favors you, David. You're a lucky man. I'm not so sure. I'd be. They're rich, Mrs. Martin's a widow, and Charlotte is her only child. Boston Society's beautiful darling. Mm. She is beautiful, isn't she? Striking me so. Almost a copy of her mother. Except for Charlotte's eyes. Cornflower blue and sparkling. Well, what's the next step, David. Have you asked Mrs. Marsden for her daughter's hand? No, I've been on the verge of speaking to her, but I've held back. There's something strange about them, that's mysterious. Mrs. Marsden said as much herself, and I have no way of, of knowing how Charlotte feels toward me. Ask her. I almost did, the day before yesterday. The butler admitted me to tea. In the distance, someone was
2: playing the piano. <laughs>
1: Good afternoon, Charlotte.
2: Good afternoon. Mother will be in directly. Please sit down. Will you have tea? Well, oh, I'll wait for your mother. She is an accomplished pianist. Yes, Mother plays well. After one of her so called flutters, music transports her.
1: Well, oh, that was last Sunday.
2: You were very kind to sit with her, David. Thank you for your attention. My affection
1: for both of you is genuine and deep if I may say so you have what are these flutters do you know
2: oh they're not physically caused mother's in good health then how do you explain them I can't and mother won't talk about them she has one every so often and turns pale and her eyes cloud over then it's gone sometimes it's months between them May
1: I say what must be obvious to you, Charlotte?
2: I, I'd rather you didn't.
1: Now, perhaps it is presumptuous. Hello, but...
2: Mr. Delano. How very nice that you could stop by.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
2: Shall I pour, Mother? Yes, if you please. <sighs> oh, do sit down, Mr. Delano. Such a civilized custom. Afternoon tea and cakes. Well, have you been having a good visit?
1: Very. And I enjoyed listening to you play the piano.
2: It gives me a great deal of pleasure. I should be lost without music. May I serve you, Mrs. Martin? Oh, not quite yet, thank you.
1: May I ask when you're leaving for the vineyard?
2: This weekend, isn't it, Mother?
1: Ah, uh, we'll miss you.
2: Do you know the vineyard, Mr. Delano?
1: Quite well. Yes, John Clements' parents have a home there. I have been there, I guess, on occasions.
2: Wouldn't it be jolly if Mr. Clements and you... Could... Perhaps you're right, Charlotte.
1: <laughs> well, it's a good idea all the same, unless it uh, would offend you,
2: Miss Martin. Certainly not. What you do is hardly my concern. And Mr. Clements is amusing. Now, Mother, will you have the tea? If you please.
1: Let Let me serve you, Mrs. Martin. Thank you. There
2: you are. Mother, what in the world is the matter with you? You really... You should have a steadier hand, Mr. Delisle. Oh, they pick up the pieces. Your film is ruined, Mother. I'll ring for Steven.
1: And so you never had a chance to pop the question? At the moment I was about to, Mrs. Marsden entered the room and and there was the matter of the dropped teacup. An accident? I can't explain it. I I have a very steady hand. I I offered cup and saucer to Mrs. Marsden. She took it and and let it go. What distracted her? Nothing. She simply dropped it. And she didn't move. Even with hot teas flashed on her dress? She didn't move. Her face was ashen. Her eyes were glazed over. She had the same book as she had last Sunday when she asked me to sit with her on the bench. Do you remember?
2: Hmm.
1: How strange. Is Mrs. Marsden all right in the head? Oh, maybe not. There, There is something else about that tea incident that I forgot to mention. Oh? After Mrs. Marsden said I should have a steadier hand, there was a look in her eyes that... Deep beneath that glazed, staring look that seemed to say, make believe it was you who dropped the cup. Make believe it was you.
2: The weather holds Indian summer clean ocean air Ah, beautiful indeed We should have a grand weekend with the Tompkins I look forward to seeing some of my Providence friends No regrets about what you may be leaving behind We're returning to Boston, aren't we? For another week Then we go home After the Elliots Ball Are you looking forward to it, Zara? Oh, yes, I've heard it's a grand affair David Delano is in love with you, my dear Do you return that love? You were rude to him at tea, you know. I'll apologize. Please do. You and I are very compatible, Mother. But, well, I don't like to be pushed. I'm not pushing him, at you. It is your happiness that I want to protect. Do you love David Delano? I, I don't know. You must know. Why do you speak so harshly? Because you must know that you do or do not love him. You have to know. If you have any doubt, reject him. If you don't, it may be too late. I don't understand you. He will become so possessed of his love for you that he will never let it go. But, Mother, that would hardly be my concern. You're mistaken. He would haunt you the rest of the days of your life. Mother. I'm telling you because... What a pleasant surprise. So you took my suggestion.
1: I agreed to it after John Clemens insisted on in the last visit to the vineyard. And, of course, he's encouraged because Charlotte finds him amusing.
2: He's a fine young man, but Charlotte's affections lie elsewhere.
1: If they do, I'm unaware
2: of it. You see, I know. Has she said as much? No. But I know.
1: May I ask how you know?
2: First, Forgive me for blaming you for dropping the teacup. I dropped it, as you know. For a moment, I... I lost control of myself. That... does not
1: happen infrequently, does it, Mrs. Marston? I'm
2: referring to those nasty flutters of yours. Oh, they're real enough. At any rate, I was rude to you, but... sometime I think you'll understand. And make allowances for me. You grow more and more mysterious. I have a deep presentiment about you, Mr. Delano. I don't want you to become nervous.
1: No, all I'm nervous about is
2: Charlotte's feelings toward me. Oh, that will come clear. I have seen its manifestation. I beg your pardon? There is a mystic initiation in store for you, Mr. Delano. And what in the world, Mythe? When it happens, do not become extravagantly nervous. Charlotte must never know. Know what? A horror. That you and I alone...
1: we leave David Delano aboard the ferry for Martha's Vineyard, trying his best to make heads or tails out of Mrs. Marsden's strange remarks. Everyone has presentiments, I'm sure, and usually they can be explained away as natural worry. Will you have a safe trip? Will a junior automobile driver drive with caution? That kind of thing. But manifestation means something seen. And what is mystic initiation? We'll learn more when I return
2: with Act Two.
1: Our mystery tale is a famous story written by Henry James, a great novelist known for his realistic psychological penetration and analysis. It is evident that James was interested in penetrating the unusual characters of a mother and daughter, both beautiful, proud, and protective of each other. Behind their striking appearance lies the mystery which we are unraveling. We're in Martha's Vineyard. It is night, and John Clements and David Delano are standing on the boat's for I tell you, David, Mrs. Marvin's a bit off her rocker. She must be. I thought so, too, but except for this. The occupation of her, she is sane and intelligent. She's well-educated and, uh, from what I've been able to learn, highly respected. That's it's beyond me. She said that she and you would alone share a horror. What do you do? Wait for some horror to present itself? I don't take it seriously, but it worries me for Charlotte's sake. And she doesn't know about it, and, and she's not, too. You understand. Of course. Oh, she loves you, David. She's afraid of you. Afraid? Oh, how can she be? Afraid of her own feelings. She's had many attachments, I'm sure, but I think her feelings for you are much deeper. Oh, uh, I've about given up. I wish I would like to... Don't despair. And don't forget the party tomorrow night at the Tompkins. Church in the morning. Everyone will attend. We'll walk on the beach, take a sail if you care to, and then we'll go to the party. I have no appetite for that, John? They're the party, I mean. Use the occasion to state your position. Speak to the perverse Miss Charlotte. Find out where you stand. And if she says no? Bow, say thank you, and goodbye. Then back to Boston we go. You're free. And you'll be free from that horror you're supposed to share with Mrs. Morrison. Nonsense, of course. I wonder... I wonder if there is something to what Mrs. Morrison said.
2: got separated from Mother He went on ahead with Mr. and Mrs. Tompkins and some of the other house guests. Where's John?
1: He met an acquaintance. He's sitting with him. You don't mind my sitting here, do you?
2: Of course not. I haven't seen you since we arrived.
1: I haven't wanted to intrude.
2: But John knows the Tompkins. All the
1: same. I I don't like to be dragged along like somebody just washed
2: ashore. What a peculiar thing to say.
1: My presence seems to make you uncomfortable.
2: I want to apologize for being rude last week at tea. I didn't mean that what you do does not concern me. Uh, I, that makes me feel better. You are a friend, David. And I take an interest in my friend. I'm overwhelmed with such warmth. Here's a prayer book if that's what you're looking for. Oh, thank you it
1: to him. Or I'll share yours. What? Hand him the prayer book. Him?
2: What are you talking about? Oh, my God. You saw him, David?
1: Distinctly, Mrs. Morrison, but I don't know what I saw. He sat down next to Charlotte in a pew, and I asked her to offer him my prayer book.
2: She looked as if she thought it was crazy. You saw him all the time? Yes.
1: And when I looked around, Charlotte saw you standing up and said, something's happened to Mother. You wore the same expression I saw when you had kind of sit on the bench in the common and, and again just before you dropped the teacup.
2: Now you know.
1: I know nothing. What I saw was a handsome young gentleman, his hands crossed in his cane, dressed in fine, old-fashioned clothes. I was surprised when he left the pew.
2: No one else saw him. What? Oh, but he was as plain as death. To you and to me. Not to anyone else. To them, he was invisible. You must not tell anyone. Is...
1: Is this the horror that you said you and I would share?
2: Yes. You're the only person in the world who could see him. And you, Mrs. Marston. Me, of course. What does it mean? It's my curse.
1: Sal, oh, it's the life of the party. I should have known. This is not the place or the time to declare myself. She'll quiet down. With all those young men dancing attendants, I think not. If it won't offend you, John, I think I'll slip out and walk by the
2: shore. As you please. But I think you're making a mistake. Oh, good evening, Mrs. Morrison. Good evening. May I speak with you alone, Mr. Delano?
1: Excuse me, David.
2: Think over what I said. Yes, Mrs. Martin. May I ask you a question.
1: If I may ask you one.
2: We will have to come to that, I suppose. We will.
1: For a reason that isn't even vaguely clear to me, Mrs. Martin, I've been caught up in a series of incidents which I find puzzling and disturbing. Why me? And who is the phantom? I have no better word to describe him. He is invisible to everyone except you and me.
2: May I ask my question? What is it? Are you in love with my daughter? Almost everyone is, Mrs. Martin. No, please don't be frightened. I know the answer, of course.
1: Well, then why ask the question? But how you can know escapes me. My my transparent? You saw him? Ah. Are the gentlemen in the pew
2: in the church... Did you feel it was inevitable that you should see him? to use extreme words? I knew you'd see him as soon as you should really be in love with Charles. I have no idea what you're talking about. It was a test. A test? You see him again. I have no objection, but I shall take more interest in him if you tell me who he is. I'll tell you If you'll tell me what you said to Charlotte in church.
1: I said nothing that was the least out of the way. Are you very sure? I don't know what made me keep quiet.
2: That was quite enough for him. It isn't what you say that makes the difference. It's what you feel. That's what he goes by.
1: And who is this mysterious he? You must tell me.
2: His name is Edmund Orme. I never heard of him. Oh, it is unlikely that you should have. He was dead before you were born. Mother! He's by her side. By Charlotte's side. Don't look at him. Don't notice it, Never. What plot are the two of you hatching? Uh, I, I...
1: I've been asking your mother for your hand.
2: Oh, indeed. And has she given it?
1: She was... Going to when you appeared.
2: Do you like Mr. Delano, Charlotte? It's difficult to say before him, isn't it? Why are you staring at us? What on earth is the matter with you? You've both such odd expressions on your faces. One would think you'd seen a ghost. Uh, go go tell, the, uh, tell the others I'll be along soon. And you, are you coming? Mr. Delano. I'll be waiting inside, Mother. I feel faint. Now, you know my life. This is a dream.
1: Oh, a grotesque joke. The man sat next to her in church, and when she walked over to us just now, he was at her side, and she didn't see him. Who is Edmund Orme?
2: A man I wronged long ago. He's very young. He was born before I was. Lord. And he's dead. He
1: appears in order to punish you, Mrs. Martin.
2: Oh, I'm beyond that. Oh, he's intent upon my daughter.
1: The sins of the mother, is that it?
2: Please, I want to understand. How can you when I myself don't
1: really understand? What harm can he do? No physical harm, surely.
2: He absorbs my attention and reminds me of a past I cannot escape. My senses become numbed I appear to others as distracted or unbalanced. It is a life of torture. And because
1: I love Charlotte, I now share the presence of Edmund Orme. Yes. I still don't really understand any of this, Mrs.
2: Morrison. You love Charlotte. Edmund Orme appears to me in Charlotte's presence to punish me for the past. He appears to you As a warning. A warning of what? The fate that befell him and which might befall you.
1: I'd hardly call you a sparkling guest, David. You've been out here a good part of the time. The party is breaking up. I'm sorry, John. You're a picture of despondency. As your co-conspirator, can you tell me what Mrs. Marsden said that has so depressed you? I will later. I'll go say my goodnight. Follow along. Don't stay out here too much longer.
2: Good night, Charles. Good night,
1: Charlotte. See you on the ferry tomorrow. Oh,
2: now, where did I leave my shawl? Caesar's ghost. Oh, I thought you'd left, David. John said you might be on the beach.
1: I was about to go when your mother came over to me and we got to talking. Sit down, Charlotte.
2: Have you seen my shawl? I I love...
1: We'll worry about that after you've heard what I have to say to you.
2: My, this is a different David Delano. An imperial, arbitrary one. Can I guess what you have to say?
1: Your mother offered me your hand.
2: So you said.
1: You know how I feel, but... uh, It would be unforgivable to approach you (laughs) without your mother's permission.
2: That's old-fashioned, David.
1: Perhaps it is, but it's also good manners.
2: Women are not chattels. They may have been once, but not in this age. My mother gave my hand to you. Did your mother give yours to me?
1: She would, if that were custom. I love you, Charlotte. Will you be?
2: What? What on earth is the matter with you? Why are you staring over my shoulder? Have you gone mad?
1: Oh, my dear Charlotte.
2: It's twice now that you look as if you've seen a ghost. And there was your strange behavior in church when you asked me to pass a prayer book to an empty space. You'll excuse me, David. Charlotte, I... I can't explain. Even if you could, I'd not be interested. My hand is my own to give, and I won't give it to you. The fact is, I don't want to see you ever again.
1: You you don't understand.
2: Tell him to leave. He's mad. David. David, what happened?
1: He appeared. I had determined to speak to Charlotte and ask her to be my wife before I could say the words... He materialized behind her. I I was startled. You didn't explain what you'd seen. No, but... (sighs) This is horrible. You wronged Edmund Orme. I didn't. I, I don't even know who he is. Why should he interfere with my happiness? You don't see? If you'll excuse me, madam, I'm damned if I do. Why should I be made miserable? More
2: miserable than I am? I don't know. I can only surmise. Your love for Charlotte is genuine. It's futile. Edmund Orme is protecting her. Is he indeed? From what? Deceptive love. What in heaven's name does that mean? He was deceived. By you? Yes. I killed him.
1: There is considerable evidence, a lot of it recent, that puzzles the so-called pure scientists. Who heretofore have dismissed the occult with a smile of disbelief. Writers have always been intrigued by the possibility that there is truth in everything, from legend to healing by the laying on of hands. The evidence is there. What we are listening to, then, may be very real. Consider that when I return shortly with Act 3. involved with a specter a visible disembodied spirit who appears only to Mrs. Ann Marsden and young David Delano Henry James spun the story before the turn of the century not only to entertain but to make a point the point remains obscure to Mr. Delano all he knows is that the specter of Edmund Orme continues to stand between him and his love for Mrs. Marsden's daughter Mrs. Marsden suspects the point she is being punished through her innocent daughter. It is after breakfast in John Clemens' house on Martha's Vineyard. Could it have been an hallucination? Call it what you will, John. You've had an extraordinary experience. You do believe what i told you. Oh, yes. I'd like to disbelieve all of it. So should I. This Edmund Orme appears only to Mrs. Marsden and to you when Charlotte is present? That's right. I've given you the instances. Then I'd stay away from her. That's what I've decided to do. At least for several months. Mother and daughter will be back in Providence within a week. I can't really understand any part of this, John. Can you? Perhaps. Mrs. Marsden told you she'd killed the man. That may be an exaggeration. Whatever she did to him, his shade won't let her forget the wrong done to him. We know that. Go on. Charlotte is a beautiful and intelligent young woman. We also know that. You come along... And love her deeply. Edmund Orme appears. And when he does, his presence makes you appear to be an imbecile. Now, how could Charlotte take you seriously when, as you are about to propose, you glaze over and lose your wits? She couldn't. Very well. Maybe that's Edmund Orme's point. To punish Mrs. Marsden, Orme will never permit Charlotte to marry anyone. If that's true, Mrs. Marsden will continue to deteriorate. I see that. Yes. Yeah. If you were a mother with a rich and beautiful daughter, can you imagine how tortured you would be if she never married? But she can marry almost anyone she chooses, John. That makes it worse. Don't you see? At the point that someone is about to pop the question, the specter appears to the man, and he goes to pieces. That's utterly mad. That's the best that I can do. Forgive me. Why don't you ask Mrs. Marsden if my theory holds water? She hasn't been very open with you. Except that... You, too, have seen the specter. I'd nominate her for an asylum. Oh, unfair all this is to me and to Charlotte, assuming she returns my feelings. And you don't know that, do you? I feel it. Well, let's pack up and head for the ferry. It's a fine, crisp day, and the ocean breeze may clear your mind. I'm I'm packed. I I have a few minutes. I'll, I'll walk over to the Tompkins and confront Mrs. Marston. I intend to know the full story about Edmund Dorn, or I'll turn my back on both the mother and the daughter.
2: To answer your first question, yes. Others who have been in love with Charlotte may have seen him, but they have not loved her as you love her. Did
1: they speak to you
2: about the specter? Oh, no. No, but they turned away from us. I won't do that, Mrs. Marston. Bless you for that, David. It must have been agonizing for you. And puzzling and hurtful to Charlotte. She told me that you were on the verge of proposing when when you began to act very strangely. Have I any hope with her? Any chance? That you may have is what I long for. What I pray for. Thank you. I believe it will all pass. If she only loves you.
1: It will all pass.
2: I mean, we shall be rid of him. that we will never see him again.
1: If Charlotte loves me, I don't care how often I see him.
2: You take it better than I could.
1: You said you killed him. I want the story, Mrs. Marsden. I have a right to know.
2: I broke his heart and... And he took his life. He loved you deeply. We were to be married. The engagement had been arranged by my mother and older sister. Edmund Orme was a fine man. He loved me. The last moment I realized that I didn't love him.
1: You jolted him? Yes.
2: I fell in love with Major Marsden. And five years later, I married him. Five years? Oh, they were years of torment. I was responsible for the death of Edmund Orme. It was after my husband, the Major, died that I began to see him. Go on. Edmund Orham always appeared with Charlotte. It began seven years ago, sometimes weeks, and then months would go by before he'd materialized.
1: You are being made to pay for the suffering you inflicted on
2: Edmund Orham. And... and Charlotte...
1: My guess is that because you trifled with his affections, he expects your daughter might behave the same way. He, he watches her so that she might suffer if she should do any full wrong. You should tell Charlotte.
2: Uh, I am too ashamed to. You
1: have no other recourse, Mrs. Marson. By shielding her, you're cutting her off from a natural life.
2: Charlotte has done no wrong.
1: She might. Now, that's the point that the specter makes. He'll disappear only when Charlotte is honestly in love with someone. Until then, she will be suspected. This is an ugly thing that hangs over the three of us. We have to remove it somehow. I received your note, David. You have news? Good news, I think. Read Mrs. Marsden's letter. It's brief and to the point. Yesterday, I spoke to Charlotte about you, and tears came to her eyes. He was there, of course, but I didn't look at him, and I didn't get into a flutter. She loves you, David, I am certain. You and only you. I'm arranging a small party for the weekend, and you and your friend, Mr. Clements, are invited. There is no need to acknowledge this note. I will expect both of you, and I hope that you will pay the visit. Why me? So that if I'm disappointed, I won't throw myself into Narragansett Bay. (laughs) Well, let's do it. Thank you. You were right, you know. About my theory? To a point. Your point about retributive justice is closer to the mark. Edmund Orme won't permit Charlotte to marry without love. If she does, she will be punished as her mother has been for all these years. Well, I'll, I'll make the train arrangements. I look forward to our adventure. I look forward to seeing Charlotte, but I dread seeing him again. I'm afraid of that, Spector John. And because he's both jury and judge, he holds the fate of three of us in his hands.
2: I'm so very glad the two of you could come. You
1: look wonderfully well, Mrs. Myers. What a
2: splendid house you have. It's charming. Thank you. I haven't told Charlotte that you were coming, but you'll be delighted, I know. I'll drift in and say hello. Well, Mrs. Morrison? I brought up the subject a few days ago. We were alone, as we usually are in the daytime. I asked her about you, David. The subject is painful to me, Mother. If you'd rather not discuss it. There's nothing to discuss. We said goodbye. He was a summer friend. No more than that? Are you disappointed in me, Mother? Oh, no. No concern is the word I'd use. Since we came home, you've been moody, and that's not like you. Oh, I have no direction. I just go through the motions of living. And in your mind? Memories, of course. <laughs> I almost died when he said you'd given him my hand. Oh, well, that's such a silly expression. Oh, I think so, too. It only means that I approved of him as being worthy of you. He is that, I'm sure. And quite handsome. He loves you, Charlotte. He's never said so. I think he's about to, and he goes all funny. How do you feel about him? Oh, I don't want to talk about him anymore, Mother. I really don't. (laughs)
1: I no longer have any doubts about her feelings toward me, Mrs. Marsden. I'll speak to her tonight.
2: He'll appear. You know that. David. My darling Charlotte. You're... You're
1: what? I've been in love with you since we first met, and now I know that you love me, and that is all that matters in the whole world. You do return my love, don't you?
2: Hush. Someone's watching us from the corner of the room. See him? The one in the evening dress? Oh, I don't like the way he looks at me, David. It's David! Come quickly! It's Mrs. Morrison! The doctor can't explain it. I can.
1: It was that man we saw last night, the one in the old fashioned evening dress. He?
2: Hmm? He caused Mother to collapse?
1: I won't explain now, my dear, but the the figure we saw has been terrifying your mother for many years. He's been the cause of her sudden and mysterious seizures.
2: But... but why?
1: Without your mother's permission, I, I hesitate to tell you, love me as I love you and all will be well. Oh, you're being terribly mysterious, David. I've been out of my mind with worry about her and about you.
2: Who... who is the man? Mother... Mother, who is the man in a strange evening dress? So you saw him, Charlotte. Last night, at the very moment you fainted away at the piano. And just after you admitted to David that you loved him. You do. Don't you, Charlotte? It's all that I wish. Yes, Mother. I could love no other. (sighs) Then I'm content. I am really very ill, you know. I have been for a long time. But the doctor said... Darling, it's nothing about which a doctor can do anything. Later, David will explain profit by what he tells you. And you will be safe. David, I don't know what she's talking about. It's about
1: something that happened a very long time ago. It's a terrifying story of revenge, and it arises from the grave. David!
2: David, uh, it's oh, you devil! David, oh David, it's gone. The man is gone, oh David! It's such a terrible. Hold oh, me tight. Mrs.
1: Martin, she's dead. Oh, the... <laughs> dead! <laughs> and the spirit of Aaron gone. Has been exercised. The story of an apparition of a specter. A story of literal bedevilment. A happy ending was too much to be expected. The writer's point is that deception of feeling in a relationship is sinful. Mrs. Marsden freed her daughter at the cost of her own life. That is why I implied earlier, and you may know this yourself, that an unforgivable offense may haunt you throughout your life. I'll return shortly. Punishment comes in many forms. You may be fined or imprisoned, even lose your life. Those are the punishments of the everyday world. And then there is the punishment of conscience. Beyond even that, we may consider punishment inflicted by an agency that is, by definition, unreal. Whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad. Mrs. Marsden was driven close to the edge by the specter of Edmund Orme and died to exorcise his spirit. Our cast included Lamont Johnson, Mary Jane Higby, Jada Rowland, and Gordon Gould. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Mrs. E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams.
0: Business, you rarely hear the expression "for life." You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and and there's a there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken One Hundred and Eighty Weight Loss.